Support for this episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere is made possible by the Wessex Press, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at wessexpress.com. And the Baker Street Journal, the leading publication of Sherlockian scholarship since 1946. Subscriptions available at bakerstreetjournal.com. I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, episode 81, Mycroft Holmes. An interview with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Anna Waterhouse. I hear of Sherlock everywhere since you became astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective. I've heard of you before. Oh, Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard jack in office. <laughs> the game's afoot as we discuss goings-on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the bigger street regulars, and popular culture related to the great detective. As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported. So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Burke Walder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes. You couldn't have come at a better time! Ha! Ha ha! Ah, indeed. Welcome. Welcome back to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. And I'm Bert Wolder. And it's a thrill to be acquainted with your audio earbud, headphone, eardrums, whatever your, however your, it is we're getting into your head. Thing. You know, we're, we're like an earworm. <laughs> oh. Once you get a taste of this, you, you simply can't get it out of your head. Oh. Hmm. In a good way. In a good way. In a good way. How have you been, Sir Bert? Oh, Sir Scott, I've been well. There's a rumor going around, though, that summer is over, which uh, I find very disturbing. Hmm. Well, in lovely Canton, Michigan here today, the temperatures are hovering in the high 60s. So, unfortunately, it seems that that rumor is true. Oh, dear. Well, in beautiful New Jersey, let's see what the uh, current temp is. It's supposed to be in the 80s today here. Let's see. Right now, at this moment... It is? 77 degrees. Ooh, that's lovely, actually. Yes. I'll take some of that. Yes. Excellent. Well, we're not here to talk about the weather, are we? Uh, well, I was hoping, you know, for uh, some um, uh, millibars and some... Uh, oh, no, no, that's at 5 o'clock. We have to get to the millibar. <laughs> Microbrewery. Yes. Mycroft Brewery. Mycroft Brewery. Well, that's appropriate that Mycroft Brewery should come up because... We will be talking to legendary NBA star and author Kareem Abdul-Jabbar about his new book, Mycroft Holmes. So that should be good. But I guess uh, one of the first things we have to do is to get to the news. News. All right. Lots of stuff going on in the world of Sherlock Holmes news. High tech and otherwise. I like that theme. Now that's yeah. that's more like it. Serious stuff here. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, we're experiment we're experimenting with a few new sounds for the show that you yes. may hear. So 
Uh, if you have some feedback on that, let us know. But otherwise, we'd love to get right into the news. Yes, and, and folks, episode 82 of I Hear of Sherlock is going to be our famous all-jingle show. <laughs> so we're going to make things a lot easier for ourselves. Just run jingle after jingle. And you don't want to miss that. So mark that on your calendars for October 15th. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, boy. So... Uh, lots has been going on recently. Mm. Um, I know London has been uh, just going crazy. The, the theater world in London has been going crazy with the news and uh, finally the performance uh, of good old Benedict Cumberbatch. And and what, what was he playing in again? Was it Cats? <laughs> it was Omelette. No, no, Hamlet. I think Hamlet. 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 Green now, eggs and Hamlet? Yes. Now, do you know, I have a little um, audio surprise for you. Do you, know, do you know Dead Ringers? I don't know that we've ever talked about Dead I Ringers. I don't think so, Does that no. ring a bell? Uh, Dead Ringers is a very funny BBC um, show, comedy series, on BBC Radio 4 of nothing but Britain's best impressionists. And they did a little... Um, recognition of Mr. Cumberbatch's appearance, and I have it in a clip, which oh, I want to play for you right now. But first, Benedict Cumberbatch has been making all the headlines at the Barbican, where he has been playing Hamlet to his adoring fans. And the playwright William Shakespeare joins me now. Mr. Shakespeare, this must be a big thrill for you. Well, in sooth, I don't think I'd be lying when I say this has been the high point of my life. <laughs> that someone of the stature of Mr. Cumberbatch would do my little play. It's, it's such an honour, I've got to tell you. I mean... <laughs> Methinks this is really going to put the name William Shakespeare on ye oldie mappy. It has to be said, you are quite well known among clever people. Well, if faith, thou speaks true, but come on, Sarah, this is Cumberbatch. This takes things to a whole new level. I was mobbed in the post office yesterday. I mean, oftentimes I'm sneered at and called a bloody hipster. Hey, I had a beard before they were annoying, you know. <laughs> Actually, I did read a feature in Grazia which said you wrote it with him in mind. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, if I, I probably shouldn't be quoting this, but confidentially, when we went rollerblading last week in Hyde Park, Cumberbatch said, Bill, because that's what he calls me. Bill, quoth he, this Hamlet character has been my most fulfilling role yet. That's a bloody lie, Shakespeare, and you know it. Who on earth are you? Oh, here we go, bloody Conan Doyle. <laughs> Cumberbatch told me that Sherlock Holmes was the most satisfying role of his career. <laughs> you take that back, you peasant swine. Thou horse and malt horse drudge. Now, gentlemen, <coughs> gentlemen, you can't fight in here. Right. I've had enough of this. Shut up the pair of you. I wrote the New Testament 2,000 years ago. <laughs> The only reason I did it was so that Benedict Cumberbatch could play the main part, the heroic carpenter, who gets killed and eats fish, yada yada. And let me tell you, if he doesn't get that false beard on pronto, I'm going to flood the West Country again like last time. <laughs> I didn't know God had a British accent. <laughs> oh, Isn't that cute? That is great. That is great. Ah uh, well, have you have you seen Hamlet yet? Ah uh, no, I've not. Oh well, not you, this one anyway. Oh. oh, but you have seen Hamlet. Oh sure. Oh, okay, 
Uh, I've got a few friends who uh, were, were heading over there to see it. So uh, it's all the rage. Well, all we better, rage. better be careful. No, no spoilers. Don't tell them how it ends. Mm, I know. Well, and the BBC radio had a uh, lovely uh, feature. Uh, I believe it went on for the past month or so of uh, the 41st prom. Oh, yeah, the proms. And it's um, a wonderful custom in, in Britain. And they did uh, – uh, well, I can't remember. The, was it Searching for Sherlock? Was that uh, I think it was Searching for Sherlock, searching for yeah. Sherlock. But it was a terrific concert that you can still listen to uh, on Radio 4. Just go to bbc.co.uk and search for – uh, prom 41. Mark well, well, Gatiss was there, and uh, it's a wonderful concert with an interesting interval. I think at the interval someone read uh, excerpts from Conan Doyle's um, Memories and Adventures of, of all the great Sherlockian themes from the Downey pictures to the BBC series to Miklos, Miklos Rosa to even the Universal theme and other things. Really great. Yeah. Well, we'll have a, a link uh, in the show notes about that. Uh, I'm not sure if it will still be airing when uh, we go live, but we will certainly give you as much information about it. Mm. I think they had it up possible. for 30 days, so it, so it yeah. should be good for the 30 days from when it was on. Yeah. So time is, time is racing, folks. Indeed, indeed. And then we had news from the Columbia Digital Storytelling Lab at Columbia University in New York of a new project that they're undertaking called Sherlock Holmes and the Internet of Things. Uh, this is a, a prototype uh, where they're basically creating a massive uh, connected crime scene uh, through a number of countries, United States, Canada, Brazil, the UK, France, uh, Spain, Germany, India, Australia, New Zealand, and more. Uh, it's a global challenge for uh, storytellers and uh, game designers and hackers and other people who want to reimagine uh, the world of Sherlock Holmes uh, being run by the Columbia University Digital Storytelling Lab. Uh, so this is, a, I think, a really interesting way to start exploring the possibilities of the Internet of Things. That is, when physical objects are connected to the Internet, uh, what, what would a crime scene look like in the Internet of Things uh, repertoire. Hmm. So um, unfortunately, we missed the deadline or they got so many uh, submissions that they closed it early. But I think they were accepting 250 different teams from around the world to participate in that. Uh, but uh, it should be pretty interesting to see this roll out as they begin to pilot uh, the thing. I, I believe uh, it's going to start to go live October 25th and the 24th and 25th. That's the Sherlock Global Challenge. Hmm. So uh, expect to hear more about that as the weeks roll on. I've been, have you been experimenting with the Internet of Things? I have uh, been doing that. I've got my um, uh, dishwasher online. No. The problem is it's just so damn depressed. <laughs> you know, between the text messages yeah. at two o'clock in the morning and the emails and the complaints, and, uh, and you haven't you haven't heard anything till you've heard from my toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe well, we should connect your dishwasher and my toilet, and they can commiserate. It sounds <laughs> it sounds like a flushingly good idea. Uh. Flushed with success, the Internet <laughs> of Things rolls on. Indeed. 
Well, so, and uh, well, other other news, Scions, uh, one of our stalwart companions, Bob Katz, and Peter McIntyre, formed 25 years ago the epilogues of Sherlock Holmes in Chatham, New Jersey. And Bob and Peter, uh, who came in pretty quickly, Bob formed it, have just marked their 25th year. We had a, wow. a great meeting. Peter Blau and Bev came up from... Um, Washington. It was Peter's first epilogues meeting and a very good discussion. It's an all-discussion group. There's no no toasts, no papers. It's just a group of people after a great meal, usually provided by Peter, sitting around talking about Sherlock Holmes. And we talked about two stories, the first and the last, Study in Scarlet and His Last Bow, which is Bob's tradition. Every five years on an anniversary, we do those two stories. And it was oh, wow. great, great fun. That's fantastic. And what, what kind of attendance do these uh, gatherings usually get? Oh, every uh, we get a the New York crowd um, typically comes in. So we had um, is it a large group? T- Tiffany Raynett. Yes, we had well about fifty. I would say fit between fifty and wow. fifty-five. We had uh, Greg Ruby came up from uh, Balmer and um, uh, Ben and Sue Vazoski and mm-hmm. Dick and Francine Kitts and. Um, uh, oh, Denny Dobry came in from Reading, Pennsylvania. So yeah, we get. Uh, oh, and uh, oh. Peter, Peter, ja- Peter, ja- Peter uh, Jacoby, Peter Jacoby, Peter Jacoby, came up from Philadelphia. That's so fantastic. a good turnout. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations to the epilogues of Sherlock Holmes. Twenty-five years is a wonderful milestone, and it's great to hear that uh, they're still as active as ever. Yeah. And it's a good model. You know, if, if anybody out there is thinking about starting a Sherlock Holmes Society and wondering what to do, you don't really need to do much more than just focus on the stories. And that's something mm. that the Priory Scholars, Nick and the Priory Scholars do, and Judith Freeman. But, um, you know, we all get together in a big room, and Bob basically says, okay, so uh, this first story, remind me, how does it start? <laughs> and... <laughs> and uh, Two hours later, you're still talking. So it's wow. a lot of fun. Well, that's fantastic. Well, speaking of other things worthy of your attention, uh, PBS has begun airing the uh, three-part series Arthur and George. Did you see it, the first episode? You know, I haven't had a chance to uh, to see I did record it, but I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it yet. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I, I have seen the first episode, yes. Okay. Did you read the book? Julian Barnes' book? I believe I did. It's on the shelf over there. So <laughs> Very memorable. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, this is one of those things where I've known the story, uh, you know, uh, about uh, George Adalji and, and how Arthur Conan Doyle uh, exonerated him. Uh, but I didn't read Barnes's uh, – I mean, I, I don't remember reading Barnes's actual uh, report of it. It just seemed so familiar to me that uh, I didn't really see the need. Well, the one, book, but, one you know. of the things you learn is that his name apparently was pronounced Edelchi, because in the early on, uh, Sir Arthur, you know, says, you know, hello, blah blah, and he's corrected. He says, no, my name, my name, Sir Arthur, is Edelchi, hmm. and I've always said George Edelchi. Well, I've never read the book, so I don't know the difference between the actual facts of the case, which I know from my own Sherlockian readings such as they are, Mm -hmm. Um, the Barnes book, Julian Barnes book, 
and what liberties may or may not have been taken with the screenplay. But basically, they show you some very touching things. I mean, they, um, they show you Conan Doyle at home, Conan Doyle coping with the death of his uh, first wife, his, um, his deep affection for uh, Jean Leckie. And the Edelgy case is presented as getting Conan Doyle out of his um, malaise and low spirits and mourning mm. for his first wife and engaged in writing a wrong. Now, whether or not that's true, um, I don't know. And the other thing you see is um, there's a lovely actor who's... Um, Oh, gee, his name escapes me now, who plays Major Wood, Conan Doyle's secretary. And he had been in Downton Abbey, and he plays Major Wood. And um, he, 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 is, he and Conan Doyle appear to be, in this first one anyway, uh, very sort of Holmes and Watson-y. And, um, you know, whether that's true is also something else again. So it would be interesting to talk to somebody really knowledgeable yeah. about Conan Doyle, like, you know, John Lallenberg or somebody yeah. about, to see, you know, exactly how much this all maps to reality. Or Dan, you know, Dan Stanley. Sure, sure. It looks like Charles Edwards is the actor. Yes, Charles played. Edwards. Yes, he's great. Yeah. As is Martin, Martin Clunes, who most yes, people know. as Conan Doyle. Know as Doc Martin. And, you know, we have an interesting um, uh, crossover here. The character Hattie Morahan. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. The, the actress Hattie Morahan plays Jean Leckie. Mm-hmm. And Miss Morahan was also in uh, this summer's movie, Mr. Holmes, where oh, she right. played Anne Kelmott. Right. right. Uh, the woman, the mysterious woman that Sherlock Holmes was tracking in his, in his flashbacks. Yes, the so. case, case he was trying to recall. Yeah, she's first, yeah. she's tip top. Yeah, she's yeah. first rate. Good. Well, I look forward to seeing that then. Well, and speaking of Mister Holmes, this all comes full circle, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, it seems that our good friends at the Conan Doyle Estate Limited have not given up their extortionate business model, as was requested by the Seventh Court of Appeals last summer, when they handed down the decision to free Sherlock, uh, it seems that uh, the CDEL has uh, had, had taken out a lawsuit against Miramax, Roadside Attractions, uh, the director Bill Condon, and even the author Mitch Cullen regarding Mr. Holmes. And as was predicted, this was kind of a nuisance case, and it would have cost Miramax more in legal fees than it would to pay off the estate, and that's exactly what they did. They uh, declined to defend themselves and a settlement has been reached and the Conan Doyle Estate Limited is claiming victory once again. Well, you know, the, the district court commented about the business model and never asked them to well, do true. anything. And, true. They made and, a recommendation, right? You know, this, those, that group of stories and those facts are protected under copyright. So there you are. Indeed. But there's a related case that we've written about <laughs> on I Hear of Sherlock. Yes, in fact, that was the that was the inspiration for it when the when the Miramax uh, when the suit against Miramax and Mitch Cullen came out. Um, it occurred to me to wonder, particularly with all of the furor and reaction against it, 
um, that any, everybody had weighed in except Conan Doyle. And Indeed. If he'd been right about spiritualism, why wouldn't he weigh in? And so that began a, sto- a series of stories that are now being updated weekly, uh, the first one of which you were very kind to run on uh, I hear of Sherlock.com. Conan Doyle sues own estate from beyond the grave. <laughs> but uh, this is really now playing out as uh, the implications of, um, you know, if Conan Doyle were right, and he really was uh, still living on and could communicate back, what would happen? And there's been quite a media furor. And so I think I'm up to my 13th or 14th uh, installment, and you can read them all at bertwalder.wordpress.com. But it's yes. a lot of fun. Attention from the world's media. Charlie Rose has been involved in this story. Oh, good Lord. Among other people. Now you know it's serious. (laughs) I particularly liked uh, the fact that uh, the complaint was coming in via a Ouija board (laughs) and and it was dictating his complaints one letter at a time. Yeah. And uh, Carl Planchette, uh, who was the the owner of Planchette's Paranormal Parlor, said that uh, he was pretty steamed up for sure. It took almost two hours to write it all down. He wants them to sneeze and desist. Uh, but I'm pretty sure the sneeze part is a typo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a lot of fun, anyway. Yes, poor Carl. In the last installment, it seems as if a grand jury believes he's violated the Witchcraft Act of 1604. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to see what's going to happen to him this week. Yeah, no kidding. Good Lord. Well, and uh, sadly, we'll close out the news with um, uh, the departure of a friend of the Baker Street Irregulars, the songwriter, uh, composer, uh, story editor, Ray Jessel, Hmm. who co-wrote the music for uh, Baker Street, the 1965 Broadway musical. Uh, Ray passed away earlier this summer at, at the age of 85. And Ray, of course, uh, graced us all with a few performances uh, during the BSI weekend of 2010. He was at the cocktail reception, and if you go onto our site, uh, we do have a few videos that we took of Mr. Jessel performing. There were two of his own songs, two, uh, just fun songs, and one from the musical Baker Street. I think it was Finding Words for Spring. Mm. But he also graced us with a performance during the BSI dinner. I do want to say before I start that um, whatever theories others might have, our homes was neither female nor Norwegian. But one of the things um, we discovered in, 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 in reading Holmes, uh, reading Conan Doyle again was that almost every story, perhaps every story, has a scene near the beginning of the story in which um, a visitor comes to the flat, to 21B, and almost before they've arrived, uh, come through the door, Holmes has already deduced almost everything about them to their, their amazement, and certainly to Watson's amazement. Um, and there is a scene, um, just like that, at the beginning of uh, The Libretto by Jerry Cooper Smith. And um, 
In musicals, unfortunately, the book writer, the libretto writer, um, usually has to give up his favorite scenes to the composers, and that was the case in this one. So our, um, our problem was, how could we convey the spirit and some of the rhythms of Conan Doyle's uh, words um, in rhyme? And um, we had to face that in our first number, which was called um, It's Simple. And um, the, the shape of the, of the pieces that Holmes goes through an elaborate deduction, and then everybody else said that once they've realized his argument, they realize it's simple, they all sing in a very simple tune. It's simple. Um, so that's what we set out to do, and... Um, our first one, I, I won't do all of these musical numbers, but I'll, I'll do this. In this one, um, there's, there's Holmes and, and Watson, of course, in the scene, and this young officer, uh, Greg, uh, who comes in. And later in the scene, um, Inspector Lestrade joins you. So I'll, I'll be doing all those parts, but um, uh, you, you'll, you'll get the idea of who's saying what. And... Um, uh, Captain Greg enters, and uh, Holmes says, um, Ah, come in, uh, Captain, or, or, or is it Lieutenant? And Greg says, Captain, Lieutenant? How did you know I was in the Army at all, for that matter? Holmes says, Come, come, your profession isn't hard to perceive. Your manner, your bearing, the very clothes you're wearing. That handkerchief tucked in your sleeve, a military custom, I believe. Of course, you're an officer. Sandhurst, am I right? And you're too young for a major, and so I should gauge you're a captain. Well, I'll be quite. Watson says, Holmes, I'm amazed. You show surprise, and yet the facts are there before your very eyes. And it's so simple, sublimely simple, if you learn not just to see but to observe. Put the brain to work, not just the optic nerve. If you put your mind to use, you will find the most abstruse become so simple. Oh yes, so simple, however difficult it might at first appear. And it's hardly very hard to see he's in the palace guard. Oh no, it's simple as a... Wait a minute. How did you possibly know I was in the palace guard? From the line of your sunburn, straight, a, straight across your brow... No cap with a visor makes that mark, and I said, ask, what type of headgear could possibly do that? A brimless bearskin hat. Now, who wears a busby? You answer that, and then all other suppositions you discard. Just guardsmen, and only when on duty in the palace yard, and so on. The number goes on with getting infinitely more complicated. Thank you very much. Uh, I particularly like um, the use of, if you learn not just to see but to observe, and I think that's a direct quote from somewhere in, in, in the Conan <laughs> And then the line after that, which was um, rhyming with that, would uh, put your brain to work, not just the optic nerve, uh, which we were rather proud of. Anyway, um, I'm going to go down there because uh, it, it occurred to me uh, in the last two days, I guess, uh, I thought I was going to do this and I would do a, there's another song I want to do but I said wait a minute these are the Baker Street Irregulars and we wrote a song for the Baker Street Irregulars 
Um, in the show, um, Holmes is looking for assistance of a not quite legal kind um, from his uh, favorite supporters, the, the Baker Street Irregulars, uh, half a dozen young, young toughs, London toughs, and um, he goes to them and, well, I'll go down there, they sing this song. Anyway, and, and the little gang sing, leave it to us, Gov, leave it to us. Say the word and it's as good as done. Oh, what do you need, Governor? I'm looking for speed, Governor. For if it's speed you need to do the deed, we'll do it on the run. Just name your fancy, though it may be chancy, we'll, we'll fill the bill without a fuss. And when no other blokes will touch it, not for money, not for love, leave it to us, Gov. Leave it to us. Um, if you get, if you, some of you I know still have your uh, LPs of the show, and some, some, and those who don't, I hope you have the CD of the show at least, <laughs> which came out 41 years after the opening. <laughs> the other, another problem we had was, well, who's going to sing actual melodies? It was okay for Holmes to talk, sing the song. Um, we used the technique that they'd used in, uh, well, the Music Man is famous because of the, of the talking of uh, uh, Henry Hill. And then, uh, um, of course, in My Fair Lady, um, Henry Higgins does a lot of talking. And those were models that we used for talk. But what are we going to do about somebody to sing a song? Well, eventually, of course, um, Irene Adler would obviously be singing songs. Um, but at that stage, we thought, well, we better find something for Dr. Watson. And the, it was easier to write a tune for Dr. Watson because he's human, let's put it that way. <laughs> well, he, he, he represents the human element. He's a, a nice person, and uh, he, he, he's bright, but not as bright as Holmes and not as manic as Holmes is. And, um, and then we thought, well, also he's, He's a guy who's been married, and um, we thought we would have him reminiscing about that marriage. And then, eventually, for a popular use, we use it as a present tense, uh, a married man. And, um, oh, well, I, I should also say that um, we got a big hit out of that song, A Married Man. And, um, and the reason, well, part of the reason was that that's gone, who was producing the show, um, was very bright in terms of exploiting the possibilities of things. And he had brought over Richard Burton uh, to do Hamlet at about the same time. So he had Richard Burton make a recording of this song, Married Man. And because Richard Burton had just married Elizabeth Taylor, it became quite, a, quite an event. And the, the song caught on. Uh, our only complaint about the recording of this great having a hit record was that um, Burton sort of talks, talked the song again. Uh, the music that played on a symphony orchestra back of him, but Burton was going, um, a married man, a married man. <laughs> 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 a married man. It's all very dramatic, but uh, I'd like to just do the song for you with a tune attached. <laughs> 
He was great. He was just a lot of fun. And uh, I don't know if folks checked out the uh, the other video that we inserted in his uh, in his terrace on uh, I hear of Sherlock dot com. But he actually was a performer on America's Got Talent, featuring a, uh, a surprise hit, "What She's Got." <laughs> uh, that was a lot of fun. We'll uh, we'll just leave that there for you. You can check it out uh, at your own risk. Yeah, very funny. But it seems that that will wrap up everything to do with the Sherlock Holmes-related news this time around. The press is a very valuable institution if one knows how to use it. Read all about it. it. We are pleased to introduce our two guests to you today. The first is probably a household name, although probably not a household name in the world of Sherlock Holmes. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. At seven feet, two inches tall, he is probably one of the biggest Sherlockians we've ever had on the show. You may not know this, but he was an English and history graduate of the University of California, Los Angeles. 
and we'll hear a little bit about how he first discovered Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Of course, he played basketball for the Milwaukee Bucks from 1969 to 1975, and most famously, the Los Angeles Lakers from 1975 to 1989. You may also remember him in a cameo appearance in the 1980 uh, spoof movie Airplane as co-pilot Roger Murdoch. And since he's retired from basketball after having been inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1995, Kareem has been a producer, a coach, and a New York Times best-selling author with a number of writings focused on history. His previous books include Giant Steps, Kareem, Black Profiles in Courage, A Season on the Reservation, Brothers in Arms, and On the Shoulders of Giants, My Journey Through the Harlem Renaissance, as well as three children's books, one of which won the NAACP Award for Best Children's Book. And in 2012, he was selected as a U.S. cultural ambassador by former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Currently, he's the chairman of the Skyhook Foundation and a columnist for Time magazine. We're also joined by Anna Waterhouse, who is a professional screenwriter and script consultant. She worked alongside uh, film and TV legends, work on structure and dialogue, and she's consulted for premium cable miniseries and basic cable series, co-producing a feature-length documentary for Mandalay HBO. And she was supervising producer and co-writer with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, of the critically acclaimed feature-length documentary On the Shoulders of Giants, which won the Best Documentary NAACP Image Award and two Telly Awards in 2012. Ms. Waterhouse has written several how-to screenwriting seminars for Writer's Digest, and she teaches screenwriting at Chapman University in Southern California. Uh, welcome, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Anna Waterhouse, to I Hear of Sherlock. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, We're happy to be here. Well, thank you. It's a it's a thrill to talk to you, um, Kareem. I think that you know just to kick things off before we talk about the obvious, which is which is that that before Mycroft became the Mycroft that we know, he had the adventure of a lifetime, and that's really what you and Anna I think have put into um, Mycroft Holmes. But Kareem, I was very curious about your dedication to this book, which is for my grandmother Venus, who spun the best stories and made me proud. And I was curious right. if you could tell us a little bit about that dedication. Well, I dedicated my... I used to have to, in, in the summertime, uh, I lived along, born and raised there in uh, Manhattan, and my grandmother lived way the heck out in Brownsville, Brooklyn. You know, back in the 50s, that was like a long train ride across the city. You had to change trains a couple times. And so, you know, going to my grandmother's house was like a, a journey, and it was a different world out there, you know, the neighborhood where my dad grew up uh, in Brooklyn. So, uh, you know, at, at night she would tell us stories, and uh, she was from the West Indies. My grandmother was from the island of Trinidad, and, you know, she was raised there at a time when they didn't have TV and radio, and um, storytelling was the, the way that people preserved tradition and, uh, and kept, uh, kept the different aspects of, of the culture alive. 
So uh, that, that's how I found out uh, about my identity uh, and uh, some of the stories she would tell us about the the, the vampire with the, you know where where it would come out at night and you know be out trying to attack people and uh, the way to to deal with it was to pour salt on his on his uh, on his grave site so that in the morning when he tried to get back in the into his grave uh, the salt that prevented that happening and. That's how you got rid of vampires. But uh, she she had lots of stories, you know, about uh, the neighborhood that she grew up in, in uh, the, rather the district that she grew up in, in Trinidad, and uh, our relatives, uh, funny stories, uh, stories about the, the musical traditions were, were very vivid because of the uh, whole uh, West Indian musical tradition, which is something that uh, inspired my father to become a jazz musician. So all of those things, you know, enabled me to understand who I was, understand my culture, and have pride in it. And uh, he was awesome. <laughs> so uh, that that's why I dedicated it to her, because uh, all the parts in there about uh, Caribbean culture and heritage uh, really were inspired by what I initially learned uh, from my grandmother. Hmm. That's, that's wonderful. That's amazing. So... When did you first meet this fellow named Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, they had, on Saturdays, uh, they would have Sherlock Holmes Theater, starring Basil Rathbone. I uh, forget the gentleman who played Dr. Watson. Nigel Bruce. Nigel Bruce, yes. And uh, I, I think that uh, that series did not do Dr. Watson any justice, uh, because in that series, they kind of make... Uh, Dr. Watson, uh, more or less a, a comic foil. You know, he, he's a buffoon. When in actually, in the, in the real stories, uh, uh, Dr. Watson is Holmes's forensic knowledge and uh, his backup. Uh, when Holmes knows that they're going to have a rough time of it, he tells uh, Watson to bring his pistol and be, you know be ready for for a tough time. Uh, he was very vital. Uh, asset to uh, Holmes. I, I think the stories, uh, the, the recent movies by Robert Downey and Jude Law really do Dr. Watson, uh, you know, justice. Uh, you know, a dynamic guy, uh, a combat doctor who comes in is very, very uh, useful and helpful to, uh, to Sherlock. Mm. So when did your experience with uh, Sherlock Holmes go beyond just the screen and go to uh, the written page? Well, when I was uh, a rookie in the NBA, right uh, prior to my starting my rookie year, someone gave me a complete collection of all of the Arthur Conan Doyle stories. And when I went on my first road trip, I figured, I'm going to need something to read. Let me grab this. So I took it with me, and that's the first time that I, I started reading uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories uh, written mm -hmm. by Arthur Conan Doyle. And I was totally captivated by it and uh, became a fan of introduced me to crime uh, fiction. I, I, after that, I started reading Dashiell Hammett and Ray, Raymond Chandler. Um, I had read John Le Carre in high school. We, uh, one of our assignments was to read The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Uh, and uh, John Le Carre ended up be, becoming one of my favorite author, authors uh, just because I remembered how, how good the stuff was he was writing. And, uh, you know, it kind of got me into it. I started reading Elmore Leonard uh, and uh, Robert B. Parker, uh, Martin Cruz Smith, 
uh, some of my favorite authors now. And, of course, uh, Walter Mosley, who's done an incredible job with uh, uh, the Easy Violence novels. To me, it, it, it's, he's kind of like uh, Raymond Chandler looking at Los Angeles from uh, a different angle, from the angle of the, from the perspective of the black community. Yeah. And uh, saying a, a whole lot about what Los Angeles was uh, was about in those days, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. Mm. And and Anna, I'm, well, Kareem, and you put all that to good use because uh, you've written seven other books. You've written three children's books. So you, you're not only a great consumer of literature, but you're a creator of it. Anna, when did uh, you first come across Holmes? Uh, actually, I came across Holmes uh, through Kareem because I wasn't – uh, it wasn't that I wasn't a fan. I just didn't know much about him other than uh, uh, television movies. Um, and I had never read a Holmes, uh, a Holmes novel or short story until Kareem expressed an interest. And then, of course, I started reading it. Thankfully, uh, Leslie Klinger, who is Kareem's very dear friend, um, gave, um, gave Kareem a compilation an annotated uh, compilation, and which Kareem kindly passed on to me. And I just started reading, and I fell in love with it, too. Uh, I mean, how can you not? Um, it's, it's incredibly evocative. It's incredibly exciting. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that was my introduction, was Kareem. Hmm. And, and which of you um, has been taking the lead on history? Because one of the things that the reader finds when you get into Mycroft is that uh, all kinds of history seem to loom very large, particularly the Oxford-Cambridge boat race in on April 6th of 1870. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, because I've been too lazy to Google it myself, is did, now, we don't want to give away any spoilers, but let's put it this way. Did the, did, did the winner of that boat race that you portray actually win that year? Yes, the, the, boat, race is, the boat race is depicted exactly uh, as, it, as it's happened, of course, with a little artistic uh, flair that, uh, that we you know, kind of made it jump, jump and pop a little bit, but it, it, it occurs exactly as it did historically. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I won't spoil it for anybody who intends to buy the book, but uh, we we depicted it exactly as it as it occurred. Um, Anna did some great research and found a, a wonderful uh, source for us to to use to to base our depiction of the race. <laughs> and that was the other thing that Kareem uh, was instrumental, and in. I would never it would never have occurred to me to start it uh, with the Oxford Cambridge race. Um, and Kareem wanted to start it, to start it there, and it was a very good idea, and we, we went with it, and, uh, everybody, including all the crew members, those are their actual names, those are <laughs> wow. their actual positions, um, and, uh, pretty much everything about it, uh, was, uh, was taken from history, uh, obviously, uh, I hate to spoil this, but Mycroft wasn't actually there. But other than that, well. yeah, it was completely right. <laughs> well, we can't confirm that he was there or not. I don't think That's there's true. any proof That's he true. wasn't That's there. That's true. <laughs> 
So is, is that the way the collaboration went, that uh, Kareem, you took charge of a lot of the historical facts and the geographical facts, particularly around uh, Port of Spain and uh, you know the rest of Trinidad? Yeah, I, and I, basically I, I just put Anna on the right trail in terms of you know where to look for accurate information and then uh, just let her pick and choose what's going to work for our story. Uh, you know how how we needed to set certain things up so that uh, the story worked, and uh, it was is really very easy working with Anna. Um, if it was not for her experience and uh, you know her knowledge of screenwriting and stuff, uh, it, it wouldn't have happened as quickly as it did. I, I was amazed how we were able to work and you know just get through it and have it all be. Uh, connected and and make sense. But I, that's that's the one thing for a lot of authors that I've known. They they told me, geez, you know, I got three quarters of the way through everything and realized that you know certain characters or or events were out of place, and then you have to go back through the whole manuscript and put it back together. And and we didn't have any uh, any setbacks like that. It was, it was, it was wonderful uh, working with with someone who has that kind of expertise and, uh, you know, yeah. uh, familiarity with, with how to get it done and, you know, how, how to have it make sense. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. A- but it was, and it was really fun. It was really fun. And that doesn't mean it wasn't an incredible amount of hard work for both of us and just uh, a lot of research that then had to be interwoven seamlessly or hopefully seamlessly into the story. Um, but overall, it was a whole lot of fun, and and it was always Kareem saying, "Okay, we need to take it. We need to take it now to uh, Port of Spain. Okay, let's think about uh, where we can take it next. There are these islands off of the coast, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, things that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have necessarily gone in that direction because, frankly, I would I wouldn't have known, and his knowledge." of that sort of um that sort of uh scenario in 1870 was invaluable mm-hmm. because then then we could go in several directions that wouldn't have necessarily felt like oh yeah this is the next thing to do take them to a deserted island or you know put them on a boat for for 10 days you know so um so that was really that was really fun and very challenging mm. so so what you're saying anna is it sounds like there weren't any quote unquote fact finding missions uh, as part of the the process here didn't do any field well, you trips know, a, a lot of authors uh get into having to invent something so that their story Makes sense, mm-hmm. and they end up going in in directions that aren't logical and don't enhance the story, but you know support what they see is so important, and uh, that's an easy trap to to fall into for for anyone that's uh, trying to write a a, a fiction story. Uh, you know to to get all of the elements in there that make the story work. So we we wanted it to be believable. Yeah. We do not want it just. Uh, Come and just make something uh, out of uh, out of thin air, and put it in there because it, it, it suits our purposes. Uh, you know, to 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 make the story logical and mm-hmm. play out the, the right way. We uh, we took the extra time to uh, make sure that uh, it, it all held together and uh, related to the the truth of the, the facts of that era. You know, yeah. we're, we're talking about Victorian. Uh, 
England, which was a, a, a real help to us because uh, there's so much about Victorian England that, that fascinates the world. Uh, Great Britain was uh, a world, the world power at that point. Uh, uh, there was no no question that uh, you know what, what do they say Britannia rules the waves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, 19th century was uh, certainly uh, one of those eras when uh, Britain was uh, a, a formidable world power. Yeah, and you know, you and know, that's what intrigued Kareem. That's what intrigued Kareem was the fact that. Uh, it was there was such a parallel between where the United States is now and where Britain was then, um, and we wanted to put Mycroft Holmes as the sort of the peon at the pinnacle, you know, the the guy that is going to rise in the ranks and be at the very top of the most powerful country in the world. I mean, if we're given a chance to do sequels, that's where we want to take it. Mm. Um, so and everybody was real. Uh, Cardwell, his boss, was a real person. Um, the even the governor of Trinidad was a real person, and he actually uh, what what we said happened to him actually happened to him, et cetera, et cetera. The, even the captain on the ship was in uh, sort of a combination of several captains that really did man those steamships back then. Um, so we wanted that. That was really important to us that that Mycroft's world be real, and uh, and that he was actually working within a real world and those real structures of that world. Now, as as we're you know as as a, a culture right now, we're kind of in a renaissance of Sherlock Holmes interest with uh, Elementary on CBS and the BBC Sherlock, and of course the Downey and uh, Jude Law performances, as you mentioned before. Why would you choose to focus on Mycroft instead of on Sherlock Holmes himself? Well, I, I think that uh, Holmes has been exhausted as <laughs> as a source for inspiration. Um, and he, he's still uh, a source. Sherlock is still a, a source. People, it, it's interesting. Uh, we were at the uh, at the museum over in London in January, and uh, people still write. To Sherlock Holmes, uh, asking him to help in, in solve cases, they still get mail from around the world, uh, uh, being sent to to London to see if Sherlock can can help solve a case, because uh, eff- effective and efficient police work is something that uh, every uh, modern society wants to say is is the hallmark of their police force, but. Uh, there's nobody that brilliant uh, that that's doing it on a regular basis. You know, crime uh, fighters. Uh, you know, they they work very hard and long hours, and uh, nobody seems to be able to dance lightly over the top of it like Sherlock Holmes. And I think that that's his appeal to to everyone. Uh, he gets it right all the time because he's so brilliant and understands everything in depth, whereas uh, the average uh, police uh, official is, uh, you know, at, at at a loss initially uh, to, to find out what's going on. Well, it's, it's also but, very... But Mycroft, uh, excuse me, sorry, um, but Mycroft uh, is really not a detective. I mean, there is going to be deduction. There's deduction involved. But he's a diplomat. He's sort of a Machiavellian character. He's a, he's more of a guy who wants to prevent big... Uh, international crimes before they happen, uh, whereas 
Sherlock goes after the individual criminal. And and first the crime is committed, and then Sherlock goes after it. Well, that's not exactly what happens with Mycroft. Mycroft, if Mycroft is successful in a really weird sense, Sherlock is out of a job, because Mycroft wants to prevent crime before it happens. And so he goes after the conspiracies, and he goes after the the real deep peccadillos of the world, you know, where... Uh, where people are doing terrible things under the cover of a lot of power and authority. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you made a very um, early astute decision because, as you point out, Sherlock, I, I don't know that I would say he's been exhausted, but it seems like there are just thousands and thousands and thousands of Sherlock Holmes stories beyond those written by Conan Doyle. And the one thing people tend to react about them all is it's very hard to match Doyle's style and to equate with those original stories. So by just forgetting about that and creating a new novel about Mycroft, um, it's you know you've got a much better shot at being um, creating a successful experience and creating a much more enjoyable story. But along the way, well, we hope so. Yeah, but along the way, I um, you know the 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 thing about the Holmes boys is that we really know very little about them when you look at the fifty six short stories and four novels of Conan Doyle. And one of the things you've done here is uh, create what seems to be a very sort of satisfying and gentle backstory where you point out that uh, Sherlock possibly takes after his father, Mycroft takes after the mother. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, about your thinking about the backstory there? Among other things, Joseph Bell pops up as a friend of uh, home of Mycroft's father. Ah, uh, so you, a lot of people missed uh, Dr. Bell, but uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him because uh, he's really the, the source for Arthur Conan Doyle, it's what we found out, uh, you know, doing research about Arthur Conan Doyle was uh, he was an ophthalmologist, and he started writing the stories because uh, he would have uh, there would be hours when he would sit in his ophthalmology office and no, no patients, nobody needed glasses or to have an eye exam. He, he was just sitting in there bored, and he started writing mm. uh, because of that, uh, you know, and. Uh, the writing actually like took over his life after um, the success of, of the Sherlock Holmes stories. So uh, you know we we have a, a whole uh, you know background there where uh, the the people that he he met that inspired him were they show up in the uh, in the original stories uh, as in disguise, but knowing who they were, Doctor Bell being the, the person that. Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle modeled Sherlock Holmes after. Dr. Bell could do some of the things that uh, we see Sherlock doing, just looking at somebody, seeing how they're dressed, and uh, uh, noticing things about them physically. And, and you know, in a short conversation, he, he knows exactly what it was that happened to them in the, in the previous uh, 24 or 36 hours. Uh, <laughs> that seems like he's like clairvoyant. But uh, it's all from simple observation and deduction and uh, the ability to, to put the facts together uh, in a way that exposes uh, what the truth is behind any particular situation. And, and that, that ability uh, really was uh, demonstrated by uh, Dr. Bell. And uh, that's why we wanted to have him in there, just to, to acknowledge him and to uh, have people understand, uh, you know, what inspired uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, 
you know, if, if they care to, to look into it, uh, we, we, we can go into some depth on, on how he got his uh, inspiration and motivation. Mm. And did you, did you think more about the backstory for the Holmes boys? How Because one of the things, you know, in Sherlockian circles, it's a big uh, question of debate as to where who went to school. You know, was Holmes at Oxford? Was Holmes at Cambridge? But you declare uh, fairly clearly where Mycroft went to school. But we won't spoil oh, yeah. that for anyone. But it, but did, <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about the backstory, about what your thinking was about their upbringing and their relationship. We, what, one thing that we wanted to do was we wanted to establish pretty quickly, that there's some problem with their home life that we sort of hint at in the story, and I don't want to say what that is because it kind of gives it away, but that there is some problem in their home life that um, Sherlock is trying to follow in Mycroft's footsteps in terms of uh, college, um, in terms of schooling, but he is sort of an indifferent student. He doesn't care. He's just very good at what he does. And uh, and that Mycroft is much more a toe-the-line kind of guy. He's a good student. He's got friends, etc. Um, we're setting all that up because, of course, we know where Mycroft ends up. Mycroft ends up a curmudgeon and a recluse and, unfortunately, fairly obese, etc. And we do want to respect that. We want to get him there eventually. But for right now, um, we want to set up the seeds of tragedy and in his life. And one of the tragic things is that for, for a while, in our minds, the boys are close. They, they're still rivals. They're still um, they still have an issue with each other, but but they have a relationship, and we'd like to try to keep that going. Uh, if if we get a chance to do a sequels, we'd like to keep that going as as long as possible. But we also wanted to establish that they were very different, and that there may be a problem with their mom in this particular <laughs> case, and that there may be a problem with. Uh, you know, possible drug use. Um, we we just wanted to lay those the, the, those seeds in, and uh, and that there might be a problem with with uh, maybe uh, some some physical ailments in Mycroft. So those are all things that hopefully are are not you know not we don't cudgel them. They're fairly subtle, mm-hmm. but we did want to put them in there. Yeah. And yeah, we made the decision where they're going to school because <laughs> there's there's no way of writing it without saying they went to they're going to school here or there. You know? yeah. So hopefully that won't get too many people upset. No, not so, at, not at all. Uh, one of the, one of the things I, I really wanted to talk about also is. Um, you know what you've done here in touching on the the race and background of these characters, which I I think is is uh, you know beautifully and elegantly um, done in the novel. And uh, one of the advantages and why Holmes always seemed so realistic, Kareem, you mentioned it was because of Doctor Watson, which in a way you know the Watson character is sort of the surrogate for the reader who's amazed at what's going on and who persists asking for an explanation. And you've done that here in a, in a, in a new character named Cyrus Douglas. Um, can you talk a little bit about the thinking behind uh, Cyrus and, and what he represents to you? Well, for, for me, um, 
it, it, it enables us to um, just ex expand what we know about Victorian England. Uh, Britain had the benefit of having uh, a colonial empire that literally circled the world. It was said that the sun never sets on the British Empire because somewhere in the British Empire it was always daylight. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you have a, a, a nation that has a, a reach like that, um, you, they, there are a lot of different cultures and uh, uh, ideas and, uh, you know, a whole lot of information that, that we can absorb that will enhance the story. So the, the fact that, uh, you know, this is about Victorian England, but uh, Trinidad was a, a British colony. And uh, people there had, um, had, had roots in, in, in England, and uh, the, the connection between the, the, the two areas was very intense uh, while uh, Britain was a colonial power. So, you know, to show that connection and uh, some of the, the things that it... Uh, that it caused to happen, you know, certain circumstances and situations were uh, part of the fact that uh, Britain had uh, its reach in China and India and the West Indies and Africa. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, this this whole uh, global reach of the British Empire is, is something that, uh, uh, you know, we, we need to incorporate into our story to, to have people understand what life was like uh, in England and, and the reasons behind it. I was, I was fascinated to find out uh, the uh, the actor who plays uh, Sherlock in the BBC series now that you mentioned earlier, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. His family, uh, during colonial times, his family owned land uh, in Barbados, and uh, they uh, have people there in uh, Barbados that have the name Cumberbatch because they're descended from people who had been owned by the Cumberbatch family. Hmm. So, you know, we, we, we find the truth doubling back on the story, you know, in, in, in interesting ways that uh, we, we never really understood that, uh, you know, that, that you will encounter some of the facts uh, of the reality of the British Empire in uh, all this uh, uh, new interest in, or, or renewed interest in, in homes and uh, what he was all about. Uh, as a, as a as a cultural piece, yeah. and uh, Cumberbatch actually played a slave owner in uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the last year or so, so it's uh, it's all connected in some way. Seems. Yeah. <laughs> well, we also wanted to uh, we wanted to make the two uh, completely different, not from the same social caste. Um, we wanted to make sure that. Each has his own purview, you know, his own uh, interests, the, the thing, his own strengths. And so to mix 23-year-old Mycroft Holmes with a 40-year-old uh, man from Trinidad, um, who is also black, just seemed to us to, to really cross a, a, a lovely sort of uh, line um, and making it also showing up, like Kareem said, all the problems with Victorian England and the fact that um, sometimes um, Cyrus has to pretend he is Mycroft's butler in order to get by. Um, we also wanted to create a character in Mycroft 
who really doesn't see color. He was very interested in Douglas, in Cyrus Douglas, because Cyrus Douglas could get the best cigars. <laughs> That's what he cared about. <laughs> and, and the rest of it really didn't matter to him. He wanted those elusive cigars that he was having a hard time finding, which is why the two of them became friends. Yeah. And, and, and also, and, I think, throughout the story, you, you saw Mycroft relying on uh, Douglas's uh, expertise and local knowledge, and he really began to defer to his judgment as the story grew on. Mm. Yes, and we wanted that... We didn't want Mike. Uh, we didn't want Cyrus Douglas to be the guy who says, "And why is that Holmes?" You know, and why right. is that Holmes? Right. Um, you you amaze me. Wanted... <laughs> yeah. yeah. We wanted somebody amazing. who actually had his own character and his own opinions, and yeah. they argue and um, and and really, um, Doug, Cyrus Douglas is the he is the ethical center because the more power. Um, Mycroft Holmes is going to get, the more of an insider that he becomes within the British government, the more he will have to go the Machiavellian route in order to get anything done. And so we're hoping that Cyrus Douglas continues to be his ethical and moral center. Mm. Now, I, I want to ask you a little bit about the future and what your hopes are. We, we touched uh, a bit before on how you've set it up so that there is room for a sequel or sequels potentially but more immediately it strikes me that the way the book is written uh it, it it's almost written like a screenplay uh you could see this actually this action and this story coming to life on the screen is well, there anything to God's ears, you know? all right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we so, would like to option the rights if, uh... <laughs> yeah scott do you have your checkbook no if you have any friends you know you let them know yeah yeah friends in high places yeah. let them know. We're, we're we're open sure well if you're if you're an agent uh, in hollywood or you work for the studio system please uh <laughs> i hear of comment at i hear of sherlock.com uh <laughs> No, you're and right. They'll, they'll broker it for you. These two guys will broker it for we you. Will. Just give them a call. All we need is a seat at the premiere. That's all we need. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> we can probably come up with more than that. So there. Oh, good. You know, good. If, if you if you're fielding the offers for us, we'll we'll do you good. <laughs> so. At, at this point, um, given that there there isn't yet, I mean, because the book isn't even released yet, uh, given that the uh, there's no Hollywood interest at this time, do you have in your mind a a story arc that would take us over a number of sequels, or is that still yet to be determined? Well, I don't know if if, if we should give away um, our, our plans, but the. <laughs> The reviews that we've seen so far have really been very flattering. Yeah. Uh, did not expect, uh, you know, I'm in, in this. I, I feel like I'm, I'm a rookie, you know. Although I've written a number of, of, of books, you know, nonfiction and, and fiction are two different things. So uh, to be received uh, as well as we have uh, critically has has been uh, a, a real treat, you know, just to. Have people acknowledge that they find the story interesting and and credible. So yeah, we we uh, we want to keep going with it. You know, it, it was fun. I, I didn't expect. I thought it was going to be hard work, and I, I'd be criticized <laughs> roundly. And uh, it's uh, gone the other way. And uh, again, you know, I can't can't say how how wonderful the experience has has, has been. Uh, you know, just 
as my first time uh, being a novelist, it's it, it's just a real thrill, and it was a lot of fun, and we very good to do it again, and uh, we're hoping and thinking that, that that we'll get a shot at it. Hmm. Well, Kareem, yeah, Kareem I, you're... already has a, Kareem already has a great idea for a sequel, but but great. yes, we're not going to probably say anything about it now. But but the cool thing is that there are so many seeds in Mycroft Holmes uh, in in this novel that we can pull out and continue this story. And of course, we want to keep. Cyrus Douglas. Um, we'd like to keep him alive as long as <laughs> as long as possible, um, and uh, and so yeah, we we would be thrilled to continue. And well, we don't see a ne- necessarily we don't see a a place where we have to stop. And mm. because in in the uh, in the world of Conan Doyle, um, Mycroft Holmes is still alive. So mm-hmm. true, true. Well, you know, personally, if the sequels are, are as engaging and as fun as Mycroft Holmes was, uh, this this first book, uh, I think you're in for a, a great ride. And Kareem, I think you're doing yourself a little bit of an injustice when you call yourself a rookie, because let's not forget that in 1970, you achieved the, or received the NBA's Rookie of the Year Award. So I'll put my money on yeah. you. But you know that that seems so. It's like long ago and far away. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. Are you also that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? <laughs> right. Oh, there you go. Now, oh, Bert, this is the airplane Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. That's one, yeah. Roger I, Murdoch. I thought you looked the same. The world famed actor and thespian. Yeah. Well, is there anything that we missed that uh, you you really wanted to talk about? I think we we hit a lot of subjects, but is there anything that you that's guys are a good? We, got it. You, you asked some great questions, so yeah, I appreciate that. Well, a, Thank I, you for doing your research. Oh, and it's a pleasure. Yeah. We got to read the book. Oh, I, you know, I, yeah. I have one more thing. Kareem, uh, you were at the Baker Street Irregulars dinner in oh, January. Right. Yes. And, um, what were your impressions of the dinner overall? Oh, <laughs> uh, I was, what was really impressive to me was just the level of achievement of the people who uh, attended the dinner, you know, just, they were all like people who had been seriously at the highest levels of, of industry and finance and, you know, achievement. Uh, oh man. Some of the, you know, people, their titles uh, were, were very impressive and, you know, just what they had done. I, I was, uh, my jaw kind of fell open, you know, just to see, uh, all these people who had achieved so much and they were all just like kids uh, <laughs> uh, and, and getting into Sherlock Holmes and, uh, you know, what's the story about? They they all had really great, great questions for me. I couldn't tell them exactly, you know, uh, how the book uh, played out, but they're like, oh, no, I got to get it. And <laughs> they were all like uh, like kids waiting for the next. I, I remember when, when I was a kid, we used to wait for the next uh, Batman and Superman comic books to come out. It's, right. it's kind of, it was the same type of uh, fervor in, in that room. It was, it was really interesting. Good. Well, we hope you'll come back. Oh, absolutely. It was uh, a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, Anna, Kareem, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule as you ramp up the, uh, the book tour. Uh, really looking forward to seeing Mycroft Holmes uh, by Titan Books uh, get into the, uh, the bookstores. Uh, so check it out, folks. Mycroft Holmes, written by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Anna Waterhouse. 
Buy it at your local bookstore, Amazon, wherever you can find fine books. Yeah, that was terrific. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it could have gone any better. It just it's wonderful to hear the two of them bouncing off of each other. You can tell they're excellent collaborators. Yeah, well, you know, it's a, and it's a wonderful um, end product. I think you know, you and I read a lot of stuff mm. uh, about Sherlock Holmes and other things, but this is, uh, you know, a really entertaining novel. And there's. Um, you know, you get to see Mycroft at in his early twenties, and you get to see Sherlock briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. He's not an overpowering figure. You know, um, what was the movie um, Murder by Death, nineteen seventy six, by Neil Simon? Good grief! Um, where you had the uh, pastiches or the, the parodies of uh, a whole bunch of existing. Oh right, right. Yes, figures. you had James Coco as Poirot as a Poirot character. Exactly. And David uh, Niven as Nick Charles. Nick Charles, right? Maggie Maggie, Maggie Smith, Smith as Nora Charles, yes. right? Elsa Lanchester as Miss uh, Marple. Marples, yeah. right? A uh, wonderful movie. And then at the very last second, in dropped Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, and they solved the thing in a minute flat. And all of the actors objected to this conclusion because they felt they were being upstaged by the Sherlock Holmes character. And I think you can still find that in in various cuts of the movie, but it didn't make the final cinematic cut. And in a lot of pastiches where Sherlock Holmes is not the main character, if he does make an appearance, it does feel like there's an overbearing sense to it. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah, this uh, this dealt very nicely with that, and yeah. um, you know, one of the things I think this book, a re- couple of things I think this book really is going for it is a an ab- absolutely terrific um, lead sentence. If you want to just start with, you know, there's a there's a prologue here, but. Um, a terrific lead sentence. The old man had heard of them, of course. Everyone on the island had heard of them. A few had even seen the evidence, imprints in the sand, but he never had. Not until the children began to die. Ooh. Wow. Who is not, who's not going to go on and read the next I know. Sentence? I know. It's really... I, I, was, I was really impressed and surprised. I'm not usually a huge pastiche fan. That's not my thing. Yeah, me neither. But, but this isn't I found, a pastiche. Yeah. Well, no, yes and no. You know, but you know, taking taking Holmes and Watson and putting them in a different historical setting, or you know, riffing on some of the stories, it's that's not my thing, and and that's that's a personal thing. I know a lot of people like it, and and yet I was I was so. Um, just captured by by the narrative, by the characters, uh, by the action. Yeah, I was I was really really pleasantly surprised. So, um, I think when when Mycroft Holmes hits the bookstores, that everyone should go out and get a copy. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's again. I think that we covered this a little with them in the conversation, but I think it was a very astute decision to focus on Mycroft and not to try to emulate Conan Doyle and do a standard Sherlockian tale. Sure. So this is not full of, you know, unrecorded cases and, and you know, I can't tell you the details about this, that, and the other thing, but they've done an enormous amount of history. And then 
you know, the characters really grow and change and um, are different. You know, by the time you get to page 254, um, you know, there's this observation about Mycroft. Holmes, on the other hand, was not the same young man who left the Liverpool docks almost three weeks before, a bit pampered, a bit spoiled, a bit too cocky for his own good, too conscious of status and of the secure and pleasant future he had mapped out. He was balanced on the prow of his boat like a taller, sun-washed Napoleon, his skin (laughs) burnished by the sun, his hair tousled, and his muscles hardened by use. But the most important alteration was not in his physique, but in his eyes. Wisdom lingered there now, as well as a deep sadness, far more than a boy man of three and twenty should know. Yeah. I just like that very much. It's great. Yeah. And now we have to sell the movie rights. Yeah. Well, get on that, will you? All right. Well, I got some time this afternoon. <laughs> well, I guess we need to see our creditors. <laughs> or is it our debtors? Who are these people? Yeah, He's, that's what I want to know. And when will they go away? <laughs> we hope never, because oh, right. we love our sponsors. We do love our sponsors. And just a, a note here, if you are interested in sponsoring an episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere or playing some part on our website, feel free to get in touch with us uh, through the contact submission form on IHearOfSherlock.com. We would always entertain bringing on new sponsors, so have at it. But the ones that we do have now include the Wessex Press. The Wessex Press! And if you go there right now, this minute, to wessexpress.com, you can buy The Watson Chronicles by Anne-Margaret Lewis, The Vital Essence by David Hammer, My Dear Holmes by David Hammer, Murder in the Vatican, The Church Mysteries of Sherlock Holmes, and a whole swath of new Sherlock Holmes adventures that belong out of their warehouse and onto your shelves. And maybe murder in the Vatican is most appropriate, as uh, the Pope, Pope Francis, is making his way to New York and Philadelphia and other places in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. Probably a good one to check out. And Anne Lewis does a, uh, Anne Margaret Lewis does a wonderful job there. I know she's written for our site from time to time. Um... But uh, it, it is definitely worth checking out. Cardinal Tosca at his finest. So check that out at wessexpress.com. And then you can tootle on over to bakerstreetjournal.com where uh, it will be very easy for you to dispose of some of that extra income. You can pick up a copy of the Undershaw set, the limited edition boxed set that contains signed and numbered, specially bound copies of Mike Durda's On Conan Doyle, which is a fabulous book, mm. and the remarkable characters of Arthur Conan Doyle, edited by Joel B. Silver, and the profits all go to the Undershaw Preservation Trust. That's a good one. Good one. And and new to uh, the Baker Street Journal.com website is Saratoga at the Rail. Uh, not sure if you're aware, but... The Baker Street Irregulars run Silver Blaze as a horse race uh, every three years at Saratoga. And this new volume by Candace Lewis uh, actually looks at 
two Sherlockian adventures associated with horse racing. Of course, Silver Blaze and the lesser known but no less important Shoscombe Old Place. And uh, you'll see uh, a wide range of essays in the book concerning both of those. Hmm. So uh, that is certainly worth checking out. And don't forget the Scion Society special for the Baker Street Journal. If you're planning to discuss one of the stories covered by the uh, BSI manuscript series, or maybe you want to provide your, uh, your members with a discount, just take advantage of the Scion Society special. If you order 10 or more copies of the same title, Sent to a single address, you get a 20% discount and a discount on shipping as well. So check that out at BakerStreetJournal.com. And then, actually, we also have our final sponsor. Good God. Friends, do you Yelp a restaurant, Uber to get there, Snapchat the dessert, and Bitcoin the bill? Oh, that's so last year. You are dead to us. That's why you need Fidman, Rickskill, and Pickwizit from the Sherlock Holmes brand App Store. Random consonants? Yes, but so much more. They're powerful new apps for iPhone and Android. What do they do? We don't know, but they're completely free. And they're the only apps that deliver the three C's. Captivating, constant clicking. Clicking. Don't be a late adopter. Improve the ratio of your sination. By downloading Fidman, Rickskill, and Pickwizit today. <laughs> I, I think you've reached a new high. You should retire now. It's our freemium model. As long as That's... my retirement can be based on a freemium <laughs> economy, I'm all set. Oh. oh. <laughs> How do you pronounce that app again? Fidman. Oh, there are three of them. Fidman, Rickskill, and Pickwizit. Oh, I thought it was a single app just with three names. Oh, no. Well, it could be. It depends. It, it depends sounds, on... like a, sounds like a Mr. Mixelplix legal counsel. Mr. Mc... Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> Edmund Rickskill and Pickwizit. <laughs> attorneys, attorneys are imps. Well, it depends on what happened uh, among the coders this morning. It may be one app. It may be three. Who knows? I know there will be in-app purchases. I know that. There you go. And there will be points. And there will be badges. And... There'll be notifications. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, well done. Thank you. Well, this is a good spot for us to talk about something new that we're trying. Yes. Uh, this, this is a service called Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you go to patreon.com slash I Hear of Sherlock or simply click on the Patreon button on the I Hear of Sherlock.com homepage, you have the opportunity to support each episode. We have been getting occasional donations from people via PayPal out of the goodness of their heart, and we do appreciate that. But if you want to become a regular contributor, Patreon allows you to do that. For as little as $1 per episode, uh, you can help sponsor I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere content. Mm. And this is only for our uh, audio show. It's not for the website. Uh, so if you have some sort of warm feeling every time you fire up the old Wurlitzer and listen to, uh, listen to our show, check out what options are available for you at Patreon. 
and we will be forever in your debt. Mm, excellent. Well, if you get too much of a warm feeling, friends, please get up. Get out of the house. Walk around the block a few times or at least change your clothing because there are other people to consider. <laughs> and I think there's a great discount, isn't there, that comes with Patreon? So you can either do a dollar an episode or uh, $12 for the whole year. There you go. <laughs> I love how that works. Yeah. Or even better, you can do you can do a corporate level sponsorship for a hundred dollars an episode, oh. or twelve hundred dollars a year. Oh, that's fabulous! I like that a lot, and that 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 entitles you to become uh, one of our senior vice presidents. We will put that on your on your uh, business card. Well, there are all sorts of options there, so uh, check it out and see what works for you. Yes. And again, it's completely optional. We will still make the content free. For everyone, but if you have been affected one way or another, in in a good way, uh, if you've been if if you've been negatively affected, um, <laughs> I will, guess we owe you money. We will not. We will not pay. You, <laughs> you have to read the fine print on the internet. We will there not you go. pay you. But uh, check out our Patreon and see what you think. Mm. Oh, <laughs> why that must be the mailman. Oh, the mailman. <laughs> We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Ah, that must mean listener comment time. Yes, listener comments. And we have one from the beautiful and talented Francine Kitts. We do indeed. Who writes to say, I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed listening to the interview with Glenn Maranker. I was salivating in his collection, and it occurred to me that he was very meek about it, which was lovely, very modest, I suppose. And uh, Francine thinks we're a great team, so that just shows you uh, what her judgment is like. But uh, thank you. She thanks us for all of our excellent work, and we thank you, Francine, for your very thoughtful and welcome comment. Indeed. Indeed. Lovely to hear from the angel of death herself. <laughs> it's nice to hear from her in a, in a positive note, because I guarantee you, if you hear from her in the negative one, and it's about you, you probably aren't hearing it. That's right. So, And we also heard from Peter Calamai yeah. from Canada. It says, to the highly entertaining and always inventive Scott and Bert. So which one are you? I'm, I don't know. I'm the, are you I'm inventive? The and, I'm the and, I think. <laughs> the and. Uh, well, Peter writes, the family cottage is almost seven hours drive from our home in Ottawa. Most of the journey is quite beautiful, though the Precambrian Shield is is uh, uh, through the Precambrian Shield. Sorry, but it is long, so I save up podcasts to listen to on the trek, including iHoes. So it was a treat yesterday to listen to number eighty with the lengthy and revealing interview with Zach Dundas. I had been dithering about buying the book, but when I heard that Dundas had interviewed Michael Saylor, I decided I have to have it. Unsolicited suggestion for a future program. Mm. Uh, Peter recommends covering the John H. Watson Society's annual treasure hunt the next time it comes around. It has just concluded the third annual one. Uh, and he said uh, that uh, the John H. Watson Society would be great because they are into cryptic crosswords and could work in encryption too. Mm. Keep up the great work, Peter. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, that is great. And um, 
I'm delighted to hear that it only takes someone being a hostage in a car for seven hours to actually listen to us. <laughs> Usually the uh, situations are much more precarious. So, excellent. Well, we will close up the mailbag and talk to all of our good listeners next time around. My mind rebels at stagnation. Give me problems. Give me work. Give me the most abstruse cryptogram, the most intricate analysis, and I'm in my proper atmosphere. Then I can dispense with artificial stimulants. But I abhor the dull routine of existence. I crave mental exaltation. Well, then you've <laughs> come to the right place, because this is the I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere quiz program called Mental Exaltation. If you've ever listened to NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or Weekend Edition Sunday with Will Short, you'll be familiar with our format. But just in case you haven't listened to those, here's how it goes. Each episode, we post a qualifying question on IHearOfSherlock.com. And of all of the correct answers submitted, an individual will be chosen at random to become a contestant on Mental Exaltation. And we vary the show on certain episodes. Our interview guest will be put to the test, playing on behalf of contestants. But in other cases, we have contestants who are calling in and participating directly. And in this case, we actually have an example of the latter. Bert, who is on the line today? Well, Scott, today we welcome from beautiful Salt Lake City, the beautiful and talented attorney, Paige Bigelow. Bigelow. <laughs> Hey, welcome, Paige. How are you? Happy Excellent. to be here. How are you today? I am. Uh, I am. I am doing well. It's a beautiful day here, and uh, I'm excited to be on the show. Excellent. Now, do you remember the qualifying question that you answered to be able to come onto the show? Uh, I believe the question was, which two stories? Did Mycroft, um, was he mentioned, but did not actually make an appearance? That is correct. And we know Mycroft played a, a significant role in the Greek interpreter and yes. the Bruce Partington plans. But what were the other two stories where we heard a mention of Mycroft, but did not, not actually see him on stage? They were the final problem mm -hmm. and the empty house. That's correct. See, you're already one step ahead of the game. You have nothing to be worried about today. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to get right into this, and uh, for that we will ask narrator Robert Hardy to get us kicked off. Shall the examination proceed? Yes, let it proceed by all means. Well, earlier on this episode, we interviewed legendary basketball player Kareem Abdul-Jabbar about his new novel, Mycroft Holmes featuring a young Mycroft Holmes. So we figured we would naturally ask you three questions about baskets. Oh. <laughs> you see the connection here. <laughs> All right. So answer two of them correctly, and you will win our prize. Okay. All, All right. right. You ready? I suppose. Here we go. 
Waste paper baskets are specifically mentioned in only two canonical stories. Which are they? M, the speckled band and the cardboard box. N, the hound of the Baskervilles and the stockbroker's clerk. Or O, the Greek interpreter and the Bruce Partington plans. So we need you to answer with M, N, or O. M, N, or O. The speckled band on the cardboard box, the hound of the Baskervilles, and the stockbroker's clerk, or the Greek interpreter and the Bruce Partington plans. Uh, well, I have to acknowledge that I had not paid attention to... Waste paper baskets. Can you, can you think of any instance in the canon where Holmes would have been searching around at hotels across the city looking for uh, detritus in the waste paper baskets? Where something may have been snipped out of uh, newspapers, for example. Well, that would have been in Hamels. In the ha- mm. Didn't he do that in the Hound of Baskervilles? Mm. So your answer is... N? <laughs> you are correct. Hooray! And the Hound of the Baskervilles and Stockbroker's Clerk. Okay, so what was he looking for in Stockbroker's Clerk? Well, that was uh, when some of the uh, uh, the, the items that uh, Harold Pinner had been copying to the ledger uh, oh. had been uh, thrown away in the waste paper basket. Okay, all right. Fabulous. So there you go. So, okay. all right. Hint. <laughs> Question one you got with, uh, with N. Okay. Question two. Basket chair is part of the decor at Baker Street, although only two people are ever referenced as specifically sitting in it. Who are they? <laughs> yes. A, Sir Henry Baskerville and Hall Pycroft. B, James Ryder and Lord St. Simon. Or C, Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes. Okay, so... A, Sir Henry Baskerville and Hall Pycroft from the two aforementioned stories that we actually just referred to in the first uh, question. Hound and Stockbroker's Club. Right. B, James Ryder and Lord St. Simon. So Noble Bachelor and James Ryder. Don't remember him. It was a Christmas-themed story. Oh, that would, was it that Blue Carbuncle? That's correct. Or C, Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes. And let's just put it this way. If Mycroft Holmes plumped himself down in the uh, <laughs> basket you. chair, there would be no basket after that. Yeah, got that. And um, are we – so then the question is, are we sticking with the same stories that we already answered? Uh, I'm going to go with B. That is correct. All right. So, uh, N, you answered for the first one, B for the second one, and for the third one we have, while we're on the subject of basket chairs, yes. according to Watson, who leaned back in the basket chair, light playing over her sweet, grave face and tinting with a dull metallic sparkle the rich coils of her luxuriant hair? A, Mary Morstan. B, Lady Hilda Trelawney Hope, or C, Mycroft Holmes. 
<laughs> I would go with B. Lady Trelawney Hope. I'm sorry about that. But you did get two out of three uh, that was correct. It, it was indeed. It was I indeed. When you remember her having luxurious hair? Oh, sure. Well, that, that whole phrase was uh, fairly romantically uh, tinged there when you think about yes, it. Yes, but then he does and, and if you uh if you got the underlying theme here and the yes. reason we renamed the uh answers uh M N and O in the first one is so yes. that of the three correct answers they would spell out N B A oh. National Basketball Association. How clever. But however, you did win the prize because you got two out of three correct. So we'll be sending you a copy of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's book, Mycroft Holmes, as uh, compensation for doing so well in mental exaltation. Well, thank you. I'll look forward to it. Yay. All right. <laughs> well done. Thank you. I, thank I thought that last one was Mrs. Hudson. <laughs> well, I thought Mary was too obvious, and I... So. You never know. You never know with these. You know, Quizmaster Nick Martorelli does a fantastic job every time, and he uh, he keeps us on our toes. Yes. So the, I guess the, the 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 lesson is go with the obvious. Sometimes <laughs> trust your gut. That's it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, and thanks for being a loyal listener and reader of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. I enjoy it a lot. All right. Thanks, Paige. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Why, that music can mean only one thing. <laughs> it's time for the Tums. Time for the Pepto-Bisbal. Indeed. Well, the editor's gas lamp this time around is actually another gas lamp. Uh, for the previous few episodes, we've either gone on hiatus or used the alternative narration method with uh, other forms of content that were not, in fact, former editor's gas lamps from the Baker Street Journal. But we return to the original yellow-backed pages of the Baker Street Journal. And in this case, we have one from Volume 7, Number 1, from 1957, with Edgar W. Smith as editor. Mm -hmm. And it's called The Softer Holmes. It was the master's conceit to hold himself before the world as a thinking machine, a hard, detached intellect admitting of no other impulse or purpose than the analysis of crime and the catalysis of criminology. I am a brain, Watson, he said. The rest of me is a mere appendix. All emotions, his friend testified, were abhorrent to his cold, precise, but admirably balanced mind, and he never spoke of the softer passions, save with a jibe and a sneer. Nor could he tolerate the taint of sentiment in others. He disparaged the efforts to give a tinge of romanticism of the chronicles of his adventures, as producing much of the same effect that would follow from the injection of a love story or an elopement into the fifth proposition of Euclid. And once, 
in an outburst that reveals by its very crudity the Freudian repressions that motivated it, he cried, "'Cut out the poetry, Watson!' Sherlock Holmes was, underneath, a soft and poetic man. The mask did not slip often, but when it did, it showed a real worth that even Watson could not conceal. He spoke feelingly, in an unguarded moment, of a rose's beauty, and of all we have to hope for from the flowers. He meditated on the meaning of life, and on the tricks that fate plays upon poor mortals. He suffered vicariously for the poor and the downtrodden, and he dwelt with sympathetic understanding from the frailties of womankind. His mercy strained the bonds of law. It was not only at the season of forgiveness that he was ready to forgive the culprits that he had caught, and he turned himself to the poets himself, and to those errant romanticists Goethe and Hoffitz among them, most significant of all, perhaps, for the evidence it gives of the inner sentiments that moved him, he voiced the wistful hope that the air of London had been made sweeter for his presence. It is good for a man to be hard without and soft within. Better, we may think, than when the other way around, a core of steel hidden beneath a flaccid exterior. For a shield of toughness or even of cynical austerity is protection against the world for which the man possessing it feels so deeply, a world which might, perversely, turn upon him if he lacked that shield and frustrate the doing of his benefactions toward it. There is undoubtedly an optimum result to be attained in resolving the conflict between these two apparently opposite characteristics. It lies, we may even venture, in being hard where decision and action are requisite, and in being soft in our responses to those deeper motivating realities of life, by which we, by which the pattern for decisions and action is set. In achieving, if you will, a hardness of the mind and softness of the heart. It was of such a philosophy as this that Sherlock Holmes was an exponent and a practitioner, and in it, as in so many other things, he set an example we might follow and be the better for. Well, hmm. I, I like that, you know, particularly because in talking to Kareem and Anna in the book, they, you know, again, Mycroft, like Holmes himself, like his brother, are... Uh, people, characters that we know really very little about. So there really isn't much of a backstory. But here they've given him uh, sort of a very rich and logical and workable um, backstory, and it shows um, him in his 20s having amazing adventures and being in love and uh, really rounds out the thinking about what Mycroft might have been doing early on, and how he got to be the way he, uh, he is when we meet him in Holmes's cases. Indeed. Indeed. It'll be interesting to see how the, uh, the character you know, kind of traverses this story arc, because we know where Mycroft ended up in the canon, and mm-hmm. um, we know what uh, Kareem and Anna have done with him in this first Mycroft Holmes story. 
So how he gets from point A to point Z mm. should be fairly interesting. Yeah. Well, have we done enough damage for one episode? I think more than enough. More than <laughs> enough. Well, just a reminder, folks, if you would like to get in touch with us, there are a variety of ways. Uh, I hear of Sherlock.com is the main place where you can find all of this information. But, of course, we give you options like Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr. You can find us as I hear of Sherlock on all of those social apertures. <laughs> yes, and you can always call us on the phone. Seven seven four two two one. Read. Yeah, send us a telegram too. That would work. Seven seven four two two one seven three two three. Yes, you can email it. But please, whatever you do, folks, please no more writs, no more subpoenas. That's uh, not the best way to communicate to us. Uh, but I thought everything tastes better when it sits on a writs. <laughs> oh, that writ. I see. I see. Um, and, of course, don't forget about Patreon, which we talked about earlier yes. in the show. If you uh, are so inclined, uh, make a donation to support each and every episode uh, at whatever level you feel comfortable. We would be forever in your debt. Yes. I mean, friends, it may seem to you that it's an easy thing because, after all, we're just speaking in English. But we've got to retrieve each and every one of these words out of a dictionary and put it in the right order. And it takes an extraordinary amount of time. So your financial support means a lot to us. And see, without that financial support, you will get the consonant-riven uh, Sherlock Holmes brand apps that uh, <laughs> simply right. make no sense. That's so. right. And if we're successful at raising a certain amount of money, we're not going to tell you what that target is. We plan on introducing uh, later, even this year, in future episodes, punctuation into uh, our narration. Good Lord. Imagine if we got Victor Borga on as a <laughs> guest. That would be... Whoosh, whoosh. Right. Anyway, well, folks, thank you for staying with us for another scintillating episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. We will be back next month on the 15th with episode 82. But until then, this is Scott Monty. Yes, that's Scott Monty, and that leaves me to be Burt Walder. And together, we have yes. to acknowledge that the games, games afoot. Foot. You know, I'm afraid that in the pleasure of this conversation, I'm neglecting business of importance, which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be my dear fellow. Very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes. Wait a minute. I know you. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm sorry, son, but you must have me confused with someone else. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm the co-pilot. You are Kareem. I've seen you play. My dad's got season tickets. I think you should go back to your seat now, Joey. Right, Clarence? Oh, he's not bothering anyone. Let him stay here. All right, but just remember, my name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. 
I think you're the greatest, but my dad says you don't work hard enough on defense. And he says that lots of times you don't even run down court. And that you don't really try, except during the playoffs. The hell I don't. Listen, kid. I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton in the near up and down the court for 48 minutes. <laughs>